Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, today we are concluding our exploration of Jesus's parables. And we haven't touched all of them, man, but our hope is that this has been a, uh, an enlightening, challenging, uh, practical series. And hopefully today will we'll be the same. Um, today, as we've done a few times in the series, we're actually going to be looking at multiple parables of Jesus at once. Uh, three in particular, because we believe that Jesus is kind of making uh, one point. Um, he's expounding on a single topic through these. And Jesus tells a set of parables here that actually... Um, that there are five, but we'll look at three. And my man, uh, Craig Blomberg, who I've referred to uh, during this series, refers to these as a burglar, a boss, and a bridegroom. And we'll be looking at those today. Um, you know, it's been said, we'll be in Matthew uh, 24 and 25. You can go ahead and flip there. It's been said of uh, the reformer Martin Luther that uh, he, he was asked one time by a friend who came to visit, uh, about what he would do if he knew that Jesus was going to return that day. He said, you know, Martin, what, what, what would you do if Jesus was, was returning today? And Martin Luther, who was at the time tilling his garden, said, I'd keep tilling my garden if I knew that Jesus was returning today. And the point is, uh, and, and preachers use this, this story, we don't know if it's true or not, but to illustrate the point that if we're if we're consistently living in, in the center of the will of God, then whatever we're doing at the time happens to be um, that which is pleasing to the Lord. And it's that, that whatever that thing would be would be appropriate for us to continue doing if we knew that Jesus was returning that day. Uh, even you know, if we knew like the end of days was upon us, it would be appropriate to do that. Now, I understand that. Like, I, I truly understand the fact that all of life is sacred to God. Tilling our garden is sacred to God, and we can and should seek to serve God in tilling our garden and doing things like that and, and in everything we do. But I, I honestly, I think I disagree a little bit with Martin Luther on this because I'm not sure that given the scenario that Jesus is returning today, that my priority still should be, I'm, I'm just going to till my garden. Um, and let me show you why. You're like, well, you're disagreeing with somebody that's, that's uh, renowned in church history. I understand. But, um, you know, I, I believe that um, the things that I normally do, I study, I teach, I try to be a missionary to those around me. I try to help make disciples of Jesus. I try to train people to make other disciples of Jesus. All of those things uh, are part of God's desire for my life. I also believe that it's good for me to do things like debate basketball with my buddies, right? To create art, to enjoy good food, to watch TV with my wife. And those would be like tilling my garden sort of things uh, in today. But if I knew that Jesus was returning today or tomorrow, I mean, don't you rightly think that my priorities would change? I would think so. I certainly would spend a whole lot more time 
manning the lifeboats. That is trying to get other souls onto the lifeboat so that they too know Jesus, so that they too can be reconciled to the Lord and spend eternity with Him. I, I, I think it would be right to change my priorities a little bit, you know, to use a, um, a sports analogy. When time is short and the stakes are high, you leave it all out on the field, right? Um, it's like sudden death in uh, overtime for a Super Bowl. You know, you know you're tired. The clock's going to expire soon. But now is why you've been doing everything that you've been doing for the whole year and even in the previous offseason. Um, give it all. Get, and give it all right now, right? This is overtime in the Super Bowl. Um, I, um, I, I don't think it's not because I don't do these things normally. We, we, we should be trying to give it all. But considering the times, the question would be, how much do we leave on the field? I mean, is, it, is this training camp before the season has started? Or is this the Super Bowl in the last five minutes? Where are, where are we? Um, we can make these determinations if we know what time it is. Specifically, when is Jesus returning? When is the, the great day of the Lord? Now, an unbeliever or a skeptic may have you believe that Jesus isn't returning at all because maybe Jesus didn't uh, come to, to the planet to begin with. Uh, a false teacher or a mistaken teacher of our day may, may put dates on it. Right and say this that you know Jesus is coming and uh, you know there, there was 85 reasons that Jesus is coming in 1985 right like back in the day. Um, there are people who still do that today. They put dates on it. Have you selling all your stuff and quitting your jobs? And then there's the the History Channel, Discovery Channel, Nat Geo stuff like that, and the band REM that would say this is the end of the world as we know it. Right, like right now, it is it is upon something, some superquake. Financial collapse, meteor, sharknado, something is going to happen, and this is it. It's upon us right now. And if you watch all that stuff, man, uh, you could just go live in a corner and, and, and wait for it to happen. And, you know, like when we were in elementary school, put your head under the desk, right, and, and wait for things to happen. Um, so what, what should we do, though? If we can't just go around tilling our gardens or playing video games or, or, or whatever, and we can't just stop living and wait, what should we do? How do we temper these reactions? How do we prepare for Jesus's return? Well, thankfully, God wrote a book. It's great news. And the Bible, again, proves to be our trustworthy friend, comes to our rescue in our confusion, and it tells us several things about Jesus's return. Again, I said we'd be in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, um, the context of our time together is where Jesus himself is preaching a sermon, um, and he's uh, speaking about the timing of his return. Scholars refer to this event as the Olivet Discourse because Jesus gave this discourse, this sermon, on the Mount of Olives, uh, and it appears in its fullest form in Matthew 24 and 25, where we will be today. Now, Jesus concludes this. It's a long sermon, but he concludes it with a very clear statement. You can see it in your Bibles and on the screen, Matthew 24 Verse 36, Jesus says, But concerning that day, that's the day of His return, an hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Let's stop, let's stop right there. 
Jesus is making a really straightforward point. He's talking about the total unexpected nature of His return. But He's saying that we cannot know, hear me clearly, we cannot know when Jesus is returning. And let me say, therefore, we should not spend our time, church, trying to predict it. He says we can't know, right? So we shouldn't spend our time. But Jesus goes on and uh, to stress in verse 42 that we should keep watch precisely because we don't know, right? Stay awake, he says, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So it's unexpected, right? So don't, don't try to predict it and put a date on it. But keep watch, be diligent, Um so that doesn't mean, again, doesn't mean to try to correlate the daily newspaper with passages of Scripture. We can, a lot of eisegesis can happen that way, us reading into the text something that's not there. Uh, but it does mean be alert. Always be prepared regardless of how soon or how distant Jesus' return might be. And so then the rest of Jesus' sermon kind of occupies the uh, closing verses of 24 and chapter 5 flesh this thing out. And this is where we're going to be to answer our question on how to prepare for His return. Again, Jesus strings together five parables. We're going to look at three of them. The first parable you'll see in verses 43 through 44. These are the, this is the shortest parable. He says, But know this, that if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready... For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Okay, so let's stop there. This is why Blomberg refers to it as a burglar, right? Jesus uh, says he's coming like a thief in the night, right? To break into somebody's house. By very definition, this is unexpected or you would not let the thief break into your house, correct? Like we don't know. The thief gets a vote, right? The thief determines when he's breaking in. Um, and by the way, that's the only point of the analogy that uh, Jesus is making. Don't read more into it than, than he's making. I, I heard a, a comedian one time say, Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. In the night? That's when I do all my messing up, <laughs> you know? Um, but Jesus is only saying that um, he's coming at an unexpected time. It may be weird to us that he's, you know, kind of comparing himself to a burglar, um, but he's just making the point this is going to be unexpected. The second parable Jesus builds on this concept, and He says that Jesus' return may be sooner than we think. We may not expect it. Right, let's, let's follow along with Jesus in verses 45 to 51. He says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant, whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, things are getting serious, aren't they? Jesus, lowly Jesus, meek and mild, 
is is kind of getting our attention here. This second parable lays out two possible scenarios involving a chief chief servant of a master or a boss um, who's away, and the, the steward discovers that you know I found out the master's coming home sooner than I than I expected him to. And the question that we're supposed to be asking as Jesus is here is, is what will the master find the servant doing? Right? Is he being a good steward of the master's resources or is he abusing his freedom as the steward of those resources and kind of shirking his responsibilities? Well, a lot of people, um, just make a little parenthetical statement here, a lot of people kind of postpone their... Uh, coming to grips with God's call for salvation on their lives. And when I say salvation, I mean turning from your sin and following yourself to following Jesus, the Savior and a forgiver of your sins and being reconciled to God. That's what I mean by uh, following God's call in your life. But a lot of people postpone that because they assume that there's always going to be a little more time. Like I, I, I have time to do that. Uh, maybe... Even those of us who are already Christians might say, you know, I, 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 I've, I've trusted Jesus. I know He's the Lord and has forgiven my sin, but I mean, I got, I got a little time to, maybe we don't say it out loud, but I got a little time. I'll get like serious about Jesus's business. I'll be serious about what Jesus is serious about later. But the truth is, we, we never know when it's going to be too late. Jesus is saying He will return at an hour and a time. We cannot possibly know, and it may be sooner than we expect. And now, if the return of Jesus is kind of too abstract for you, right, or maybe, maybe you, have, uh, you still have some doubts about that, one thing that you should not have any doubt about is that your life will not last forever. Like, you know, they say there's a 100% chance of two things, death and taxes, Right? Uh, well, I'd say three things, the return of Jesus, <laughs> death and taxes, right? But none of us truly are promised tomorrow. I mean, we have accidents daily, we have illnesses, we have natural disasters, untimely deaths. We should not presume. It is, it is really the height of either ignorance and or arrogance for us to presume that our heart should keep on beating, our, our lungs should keep on breathing, that we should be able to drive home today safely. Um, I'm, I'm not trying, I'm not, you guys know I'm not a fire and brimstone fear kind of guy. I'm just, I'm just telling you the truth. There's a, there's a guy, um, somewhat famous evangelist uh, named Ray Comfort, and he gives, a, he gives an appointment card to people uh, when they talk about this. When he, you know, he'll share the gospel with them and talk about how be re- to be reconciled to God through Jesus. And he, he'll say, well, are you going to think about what we've talked about today? And usually they say, yes, I will, I will think about it. And then he'll say, well, when are you going to choose to follow Jesus? And they say, oh, you know, I, I don't know. I'd say, I, you know, I've got, some, I've got some time. And he said, that's great. You've got some time. I've got an appointment card. Did I just turn my mic? No, I'm good. I've got an appointment card here, here in my pocket. And it says, one day before you die, appointment card. So you just write in the date that, you, that you're going to die, and you and I can make an appointment the day before you're going to die, and we can sit down and talk about it, and maybe you can choose to follow Jesus and be reconciled to God then. Just, just go ahead and fill the date in. 
We can't do that, right? And that's, that's the point. We can never really know when it's going to be too late. So let's be honest with ourselves, right? Jesus, in this passage, is telling his hearers and us today these things because he loves us enough to be honest with us. I'm telling you these things at the, at the chance of offending you because I love you enough to be honest with you. And I'm encouraging you to love yourself enough to be honest with you, right? About being right with God and when that needs to take place. So if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, your Master, you've, accept, you've never accepted His free gift of salvation and forgiveness that only comes from Him, uh, then today's the day for you to make that commitment. Today's the day. For that, If you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you have unfinished business with God, that maybe he's been stirring something in your heart. This is the next step I want you to take in your walk with me. Uh, maybe that might mean changing your vocation to something else. Maybe that might mean changing your standard of living to make sacrifices for his kingdom. Maybe it might, um, if you're in the right job from God's perspective, but maybe you're too preoccupied with material things and not focused enough on eternal things. Maybe there are relationships in your life where you've been refusing to deal with your response to God's call for you to help make that relationship right. Maybe there's something that you need to follow the Lord in that. Maybe you need to either give or receive or at least extend forgiveness. Maybe there's something in your relationship with someone else that is sinful. And the Lord wants to remove that. My, I, I'm, I, my, today is what I'm saying. Is the day for you to take steps to begin obeying the Lord. Uh, you know, uh, in church circles, you guys know this. And this is one, one of the things that keeps us out of the church. This is because we say well, there's a bunch of hypocrites in there. And we have a great capacity as church folks to put a mask on. Even a mask that's strong enough, when we look in the mirror, we believe the mask and not what's under it. You know, we're kind of pictures of Dorian Gray, and, and if you know that old book. On the inside, we, our sin is real. Despite the mask that we have on on the outside, we can, we can cover the things. But here's the deal. Here's the truth. As long as we have breath in our lungs, there remains opportunity for us to be healed and forgiven, and repent, and turn to Jesus, and find life. Uh, but one day it'll be too late. That could come sooner or later. Or later. That's Jesus' point here. Um, so if that's, a, that's an issue for you, uh, if you have not been reconciled to God, let me tell you something. Uh, the Bible teaches us, in the book of Hebrews, that we each only get to die once. And after that's the judgment. There's no do-over. Um, the condition of your soul before God must be dealt with prior to Jesus' return or your death, whichever comes first. And we don't know the day nor the hour. Again, there's two, no, no two more certain things in life. Jesus' return. And our death. Well, that leads us to a destination that is described in verse 51, where Jesus says, There will be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. Again, I'm, I'm just reporting the news from, from Jesus. In the third parable then, Jesus covers his return from an opposite angle. Right? He points out that even though his return could be at any moment, maybe it's unexpected, it could be sooner than we think, it also may be later than we expect. Right? It may be later. He gives an analogy about ten bridesmaids, and this time um, the master figure, a bridegroom, stays away longer than the bridesmaids expect him to. Now let's continue in Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Now this is about a wedding feast. In the Jewish wedding, it's, it's not the, the bride who's the star of the show, so to speak, like in our weddings, it's the groom. And the scene is that the, the parable's just after a wedding where the bridesmaids are waiting on the groom to show up after the wedding to start the reception or, or the wedding feast. Now let's pick up in verse 1. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there was... Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, Jesus says, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Let's stop there. Now again, the parable is about the surprisingly quick return of the master, but um, it's at a delayed time. They, They did not see it coming. Five of the ten bridesmaids in the parable prepared uh, and some were unprepared for the length of time between the brides, the bridegroom in their mind supposed to show up and him actually showing up, right? There's a lot in this parable that we, we could unpack, but the central point that we can see when we consider the context in this series of parables is that the five foolish bridesmaids find that they are forever excluded from the celebration is what Jesus is pointing out. So the parable build, this parable builds on the one before it. Um, our lives may seem, uh, and the world, <laughs> may seem to go on forever and ever and ever, even though we're always talking about Jesus could return at any time. How many of you, just show of hands, grew up in church and your whole life you've been hearing Jesus can return at any time? Right? Lots of us. Lots of us. Jesus's imminent return has been talked about for 2,000 years, right? So, you know, okay, fine. So we're talking about it one more day. When's when's that going to be? But a day is coming when there will be no more second chances to get our lives right. The last verse of this parable, Matthew 25, 13, repeats kind of the thoughts of 
24:42 where we began that say watch you know stay awake therefore for you know neither the day nor the hour so the implications for the non-christians here are really plain don't sleep on jesus right jesus is coming back and as he sung before all hell power of jesus name jesus when he returns is coming back as king as king I want you to please hear the uh, words of the Apostle Peter. He echoes Jesus' words here, and he further warns us about God's timing. Uh, it'll be on the screen for you. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you, sh- you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished, But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So once more, I will say, get right with God today. Give your life to its Creator. Give your life to Jesus, uh, who is the Lord. There's some strong implications for those of us who are followers of Jesus as well, though, in what Peter is saying and what Jesus is saying in our parable today. The truth is that some of us Christians, hear me, particularly in America, do not have the mindset to follow Jesus for the long haul. We're a quick fix, people. We're a temporary people. When it gets hard, we leave. And God loves me so much, no way He'd let it get hard. Try telling that to people who live in persecuted countries. You know, if it gets too hard, Jesus is going to take us out of here. Do you realize the history of the church for this past 2,000 years we've been talking about and how difficult it's been? Our relative peace is an anomaly. This is unusual, right? Uh we, we get the picture that the Christian life is roses and candy, man. And if it gets really hard, Jesus is going to spare us the pain. Um, so when, because we have that mindset, when the Christian life gets hard, when crisis hit us, when suffering hits us, we've, because we viewed this Christian journey as a sprint rather than a marathon, we get disillusioned. Well, where's the Lord? We're... Where is he? He's promised he's going to return. I give up. I'm out. 
Maybe, maybe he can't be trusted anyway. And in our difficulty, we walk out from the church, from the faith. And so Jesus' point is that we've got to be prepared for the possibility, from our perspective, of his long delay. It may take a while. But Peter told us why. It's because of his mercy that he's taking so long. Because he's not willing that any should perish. It's his grace toward us that all should come to repentance is the heart of the Lord. Uh, so what we've seen so far about Jesus' return is that it might be sooner than expected. It might be uh, later than expected and that it's going to be in an unexpected time. Well, that kind of covers all the options, doesn't it? It may come sooner. It may come later. We know it's going to be unexpected. So this should end. Let me uh, say what I said at the beginning. This should end all speculation about when that's going to be. Maybe sooner than we think. Maybe later. It will be unexpected. The end, right? That's why I, I, I'm not condemning anyone, but as Reach Life Church, if you ever, ever wonder why don't we don't have charts up talking about this, this, and this, and this newspaper article and that, and therefore th this, about th this is why, because Jesus says it may be sooner than we think. It may be later, and it will be unexpected. Therefore, be ready. And that's, as Reach Life Church, that's what we want to focus on. Be, be ready. And that's, that's what I'm going to get to now. This is, a, um, this is what we want to talk about. I want to focus on something here, and I, I want to, to do just a little bit of interpretation work because we're getting to a crucial point here. There's another common theme among these parables, including this next one that we're going to look at that we've got to address Think back to the parable of the faithful and unfaithful servant. Okay, think back there. The guy described as servants in both instances, when he's doing good and bad, is described as a servant of the master, isn't he? Both servants, good and bad, are servants of the master. Think about the wise and foolish women. They are all called bridesmaids, aren't they? Isn't that weird? They're all called bridesmaids. The next passage we're going to come to in the parable of the talents, all three individual men whom the master has a conversation with are called servants of the master. Yet we hear Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I didn't know you. And in that place, there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And how can that be? Right. I just want to do a little interpretation here. Uh, help us understand this. It's very important that we not Christianize Jesus' words and assume that in each of these cases, he's referring to true believers, to true disciples. In Jesus' uh, Jesus's original context, a Jewish teacher talking to Jewish disciples, right, often in large crowds, including his opponents. Remember, the Pharisees were always following him around. They would have been in this crowd as well, most likely. Um, so the crowds include people not committed to Jesus, not followers of Jesus. So we have to recognize that he's using languages, language of servants to refer to anyone, hear this, who might consider themselves followers of Jesus. And that's an important thing to understand. It's like a modern day preacher, or maybe me today, and I'm, I'm preaching at a church and we sing songs and we refer to our Savior. We refer to us as the people of God. We refer to us gathered as the disciples of Jesus. But quite honestly, I think all of us would recognize it would be foolish for us to presume that everybody even here in this room is, is actually a follower of Jesus. 
I, I don't know your relationship with the Lord. You don't know mine. Hopefully we can see one another's fruit and make, a, make a, an assumption or a reasonable guess. But, but we don't know, right? And so that's, that's what's been going on. Remember, elsewhere in this Olivet Discourse, Jesus is only addressing the 12 apostles. And Judas was there, right? Judas was there. And Jesus himself says, not all who call him Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. So it's not that they will lose their salvation, but in Jesus' own words, it's because he never knew them in the first place. There's an interesting statistic done by, or a study done by Barna Group, and it suggests one in three people, take a second, look around. Just look around. The study says that one in three people who currently attend a church gathering will one day give up church attendance for good. Uh, at least some of these people will be in Bible-believing, gospel-centered churches like ours. And maybe they've made an explicit profession of faith in Jesus. Uh, of course, some of these will be true Christians and they will have only ab um, abandoned the fellowship of the believers. Um, that would be disobedient to Scripture, but um, we shouldn't assume that all people in that th uh, one in three uh, would be truly followers of Jesus, but that the fact is that they have walked away from not just the fellowship, Jesus himself, and will enter an eternity without Jesus. That's why Jesus' repeated warnings here in all these parables, and you may get tired of me giving the warning this morning, but there's a reason it has so much weight. There's a reason that Jesus repeats these things. Well, Finally, coming to the close of Jesus' parables, how should we then live, as Francis Schaeffer would say, or in, in modern language, then how should we live? Right. In other words, based on the fact of Jesus' return, what should our lives look like? How do we prepare for something we don't know? Is, we know it's going to happen, but we don't know when. It's, it's like imminent, but it's impossible to have any clue the day or the hour. How do we prepare for that? Well, our final parable today answers that question it's a parable of the talents. Um, I was going to apologize for reading so much scripture today, but I won't do that. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Follow along. For it, it, the kingdom of God, the return of Jesus, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. For he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he had the two talents and made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents here. I've made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had received, he who also had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. 
So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master said to him, or answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has, who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. For, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast into and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So again, in this parable, we see an absentee master, but in, case, the time, in this case, the timing of his return is not the issue. The issue is the faithful stewardship of his servants that he's left. The different servants are given different talents, each according to his ability. Notice that the first two go out and make different, different amounts of money, but they're both considered faithful. One person had a lot of gifts, man. You may know people like that. That person can do anything, right? They've got, they've got good money. They've got good health. They're beautiful, they, whatever. And everything they do seems to turn to gold. And it's like, right, we can be envious of those people. You may say, I'm over here with my two talents. I got, I got very little. I'm not beautiful. I, I don't have good health. Um, but I will invest everything I have. Just like they invest their five, I invest my two. To both of us, Jesus says, well done. Enter into the joy of your masters. It's the same. It's not about the amount of gifts you have. It's the amount of faithfulness that you have with your gifts. And so to the one... Um, it was unfaithful because he had a, an, un, an unrealistic view of the Lord. The Lord is not a harsh master. There is no place he has not sown, <laughs> right? But understanding the master, we invest faithfully. Um, when the master returns, he blasts that guy and condemns him forever. Um, Jesus is using familiar things here to symbolize a truth in the spiritual realm. Everything God grants us, is to be used for His purposes between now and when He returns. Now later, Jesus, we're not going to talk about it, but He's going to talk about the sheep and the goats, true followers, untrue followers. But for our section today, Jesus is saying, stop trying to figure out the timing of the end. What I want you to do is be faithful. So how do we get ready? How do we prepare for Jesus' return? Be faithful. Be faithful. Invest your life. Invest the treasure He's entrusted to you, be it small or large, into preparing yourself and others for Jesus' return. That is, we use everything we have, our spiritual giftedness in certain areas, our time, our relationships, our money for the making of disciples of Jesus. Reach Life Church. Get to work. It's Jesus' message to me and to you. Get to work. Let's not be like the lazy one who thinks he has plenty of time. Let's not be like the bad investor who refused to use and multiply what God has entrusted to us. Let's not be like those who are not prepared to be in it for the long haul, thick and thin, should Jesus' return be delayed in our minds. Let's work. Let's invest our time, our talents, our treasure 
to the glory of God and the building of His kingdom. Let's give our very lives. What else is worth it? Is Jesus' kingdom worth your life? Jesus gave His life for it, <laughs> right? It's certainly it's worth my life. Certainly it's worth your life. This will mean reorienting our schedules. This will mean transforming our spending habits and where we allot our money. This will mean choosing to live our lives differently. Being a good steward of our resources, particularly spiritual resources, our giftedness, our time. I want you to hear this phrase clearly. is about moving from being net consumers to being net producers for the kingdom of God. Just a little metric for you to evaluate yourself. And in the, the life of the church, in the life of the kingdom of God, am I a net consumer or am I a producer? You may have little, you may have much. That's, in, that's up to the sovereignty of God. Question is, with what you have, are you producing? Um, if so, then when Jesus returns, if we're faithful, he will say, well done. Enter into the joy of your master. I don't know about you, but I actually have mixed feelings. Can I be real for a minute? I have mixed feelings about the prospect of Jesus' return coming soon. On the one hand, I think it's a natural thing to want suffering to end. Anybody hurting? I'm ready for Jesus to make all things new. Right? On the other hand, we know that Jesus' return will end the opportunity for people to repent and trust, his, trust in Him as Savior. What does, that, what does that do to your heart? Think about that. When I say Jesus' return means that the door will close on the ark, so to speak. No more, no more people are getting on. What does that do in your heart, follower of Jesus? I hope that by God's grace, that means you want to man the lifeboats. That it creates a sense of urgency for you to help people know Jesus. Well, thankfully, God is sovereign. He knows the perfectly appropriate time of His return. What's our, what's our mandate in the meantime? Get to work. That's my message today. Get to work. People are dying without the Lord. Reach Life Church. Do you understand that? Your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, your teammates, maybe people sitting next to you in here right now, should they leave here today and die, or should Jesus return today, they would enter eternity where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does that do in your heart? What are we doing? What are we doing? Let's make disciples, people. I'm preaching to myself just like I'm preaching to you. Just, just know that. We're rowing in the same boat. Thankfully, we get to respond to what the Lord is saying to us. Um, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is as like fired brimstone kind of thing you'll, you'll ever hear as Reach Life Church. You may have been here five years and never heard a sermon like this that's been this forthright. And um, here we are in the text, and we're going to say what Jesus says. You're not here by mistake. I would say that God in his sovereignty has heard, had you hear this message today. Today is the day 
for you to turn to Jesus. If you would like to know more about that or make that commitment, surrender to the Lord, Pastor James and I would love to talk to you after the service, man. If you're a follower of Jesus, you want to know how to put like boots on the ground. How do I prepare more? How do I man the lifeboats? Let's talk about that too. 